Life Audio. You are listening to Hope for Women with Father Wounds, Episode 44, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Lisa Apollo. I'm your host, Kia Steven. This podcast is for women who have experienced pain in their father-daughter relationship as a result of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration, addiction, or a physically present but emotionally absent father. The aim of this podcast is to help you exchange your father wound for the love of God the Father. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend. Rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Lisa Apollo. She's a great friend of mine and just a wonderful human being. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Lisa Apollo is a speaker inspiring women to cultivate faith in life's storm and author of Life Can Be Good Again, putting your world back together after it all falls apart. When life shatters and you're navigating a life you didn't sign up for, Lisa provides compassionate biblical insight to help you find your footing, process raw emotion, and anchor your threadbare hope to see you won't and anchor your threadbare hope to see you won't merely survive this, but that life can be good again. A former litigating attorney, Lisa is passionate about rich Bible teaching. She writes at the popular site, lisaapolo.com, founded a team of writers at Hoping Grief, founded a team of writers at hopeingrief.com, and serves on the executive team for Compel with Proverbs 31 Ministry. As a single mom of seven, Lisa's days are filled with parenting, ministry, and long walks to justify lots of dark chocolate. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. everyone. I'm super excited to have my good friend, Lisa Apollo, joining us today. Lisa, how are you today? I am so doing well, and I'm super excited to be with you. You guys, I got to let you know, Lisa is my good friend. This is my second time interviewing her, and she's just a woman that I admire and watch from afar and hope that I can be half the mother that she has been. And once you hear a story, you're going to understand why I said that. So let me just share a little bit about Lisa with you. She is a widow and mom to seven amazing 
children. As a member of Widow Mama Collective, a Facebook community for young widows, she helps women find hope in the hard places of loss. She is a popular blogger. She loves seeing women flourish in the strength of God's promises. And you can certainly learn more about Lisa Apollo at lisaapolo.com. But we're going to talk a little bit more about her story today. And I know that you will be blessed. So Lisa, some of our listeners may not be familiar with you, but you suffered a tragic loss uh, unexpectedly with the loss of your husband, Dan. And I wanted to know if you would be willing to share that story with us. Sure. So, you know, it's been 10 years. And so I can, I can share it without crying anymore. Sometimes I cry and they're tears of just God getting us through so much. But for, for us, it started, it was a June. It was actually Father's Day weekend. And it was a, fairly normal Friday morning, what I thought would be fairly normal. I woke up to Dan's funny breathing and I really wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I just reached my arm over and nudged him. I thought he was having a nightmare. And so I said, you're just, you know, it's just a nightmare, huh? And I fully expected that he would turn over and we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a couple hours. And when I realized he hadn't turned over and I could still hear his breathing, I was waking up more And I jumped out of bed, flipped on the overhead light, and I could see immediately that something was very wrong. And so I went kind of into crisis management mode. I began to cry out to him if he could hear me and was getting no response. As it happened, our four-year-old at the time had crawled in between the two of us and was sleeping right next to him. And then my kids, my other kids were all on sleeping bags outside of our room on sleeping bags. They had come down, they had, you know, done that the night before They heard me crying out and the older ones were coming in. And so I just began, you know, and giving instructions like, you know, Nick, call 911, Seth, go get our fireman neighbor, Rachel, take the little ones upstairs and began CPR. The the operator walked, began walking me through CPR. And I didn't even get through two rounds when the paramedics came and they were right outside our neighborhood. So I thought, okay, good. He is in good hands. And he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and realizes he can't go to work today. But, um, you know, they shush you out of the room. They really don't let you stay right there. And as I could hear them in the room next to me, I just walked, paced the floor, still dark outside, kids all upstairs, just paced the floor saying out loud, God, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And they took him by ambulance to the hospital. I followed and it was not long after I got there that a, an ER doctor took me into that room that you never want to go into and said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. So that was it. One night sleep and there had been no signs, no symptoms, no warning at, at all. I'm over here holding my breath like this is the first time I heard this story, but it's actually the second time. and. And then, of course, reading your book just takes my breath away. The suspense, the fear, the the trauma of it all. I, I don't think I remember that your children were in sleeping bags outside of your room. You know, in that moment when you realized that he wasn't going to come back home with you, what were you thinking in terms of life? What were you thinking about life? What were you thinking about God? Oof, it's hard to know whether I had any intentional thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much of that 
when and you're exactly right. I didn't at the time call it trauma, but I know it was trauma to go through that for myself and for my children because they saw their dad. You, some of them helped me with CPR, take him off the bed and move him to the floor. My six-year-old, well, he was six-year-old at the time. He's now 16, told me just the other day, reading, starting to read the book and said, I couldn't get through chapter one, mom. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I'm diverting from your question. I'm going to get back. No, that's okay. I said, what, what do you remember about that morning? And we had, all the kids were upstairs and he said, I snuck out and I could see them take him out the front door. So to, to know that was your last picture and that was the, like really the the last thing I wanted for my children, for that to be their last memory of their dad. You know, when the doctor told me that they had, could not revive Dan, it was like my life. Somebody had just come and just ripped me in two. And I realized for the first time so much that God does, in fact, knit two into one, that that's not just a saying. That it's not like you're glued side by side or you stand next to each other. That two become one in marriage. And every ordinary dinner, every argument and makeup, every decision you make, every hard thing that you walk through together, every vulnerability you share, all of that just knits two people into one. And I thought, I don't think I had thoughts about God. I had a lot of questions like, how in the world am I going to raise these kids to to adults, how in the world are you going to mend eight broken hearts? And I did, I was so grief naive too. I did not know what steps to take or how, what I, how to move my family forward. Mm. What, what a great phrase that I'm, I'm going to now steal grief naive. I think we all are, you know, when grief hits us, there's no workbook just laying around the house that says, okay, step one and step two and step three. And I really like how you illustrated what happened when Dan died, you know, for you, but then also for your kids. Because, you know, as we're talking about the impact of father loss on the woman, we certainly have to also see how it impacts the children. How does it impact our children if for whatever reason the husband either leaves or there's a divorce, there's abandonment or there's premature death? as in your case, Lisa. And so your book is entitled Life Can Be Good Again. And that is a pretty big promise to make, especially when you're looking at the finality of death or even the finality of of divorce or a whole nother family someplace that I know some of our listeners may have walked through. Can you share what that means to you? Yeah, when life imploded for us, I thought I will never smile again. And I really wondered if I'd ever have that true joy that just kind of bubbles up organically, you know, because you're having a joyful moment or you're in a joyful season. I just couldn't imagine the emotions of loss, the emotions, these wounds, they're just so hard and they will lie to us and tell us that everything good is behind us and that this life that we're living is not the one that we would choose. And the life that we would have chosen has now is now gone or maybe never came about for some. And so we're consigned to this life. And I, I think I wanted to desperately know that life could be good again. And as much as I trusted God, because I did trust him, I knew he would be faithful. I didn't know how. And I was walking, you know, 
through that place of just not knowing how. But I would have loved to have seen somebody who was a few steps ahead of me, who could have been flesh and bone for me. And I could have looked and said, you know, she made it and and her children are doing well and their family is intact and the enemy didn't get to any more, you know, in their family. I just wanted to know that. That is so something, um, as I'm thinking about that, I know I've felt that that way in other areas. And I think the people he uses often who are saying that are often the people that he's saying, no, I want you to pioneer and you are going to be the people that or the, the woman that's just a few steps ahead of another woman that's going to walk this exact same road. And so I need you to go at it alone so that you'll have the encouragement, you'll have the inner fortitude, you'll have the strength to offer another woman that's coming behind you that you cannot even see that's there. I'm sure you can probably relate to that. As you're, you're nodding your head. You guys can't see that, but she's nodding her head. Would you agree, Lisa? I would. I, I see that in you too. So that's part of oh, why I'm nodding. Oh you're trying to do an Oprah on me. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> yes. I don't think um, at the time, you know, knowing that there would be great purpose in this or that God could use this pain for his purpose. I don't think at the time that would have been real balm to me. I, I, but it is to be able to steward the place that God allows in our life and to be able to reach back to somebody else. Now, you know, the Bible says that God comforts us so that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort he's given us. And we can all do that no matter where we've walked. You know, if we will steward the pain well, if we will trust God in the pain, we will see him, you know, I say reshape what shattered. And part of what, how he reshapes us is he allows, for me, he grew just this compassion for the woman who's going through something like this, some kind of, you know, shattering loss. Wow. I hope that you are gleaning from the wisdom that Lisa has so freely offered us and that has come through out of extreme suffering and and pain, but she is a demonstration that life can be good again. Lisa, your message is not just for those who are grieving a loved one. Who else do you think might garner hope from this word? Yeah, there are a lot of ways that life can shatter. And, you know, one of the, we talk about them in the book. The book is not just Lisa's story. My story is in there, but there are other stories in there because it's, you know, this, it's, it's wide. A lot of us go through places where we are living a life we didn't expect and we don't want even, and we'd give back if we could. And sometimes that happens when a spouse walks out and says, I never loved you. Sometimes that happens from a diagnosis that steals life as you know it. Sometimes that happens because there's an adult relationship that goes bad or is never healed and you've tried everything and you've prayed. And you, there is a there is a rift in that relationship, and that's a continual wound. There are a lot of ways that life can shatter for us. Well, certainly, in father loss, I think is a, is another way where you know you're minding your own business, you know, or or for some girls whose father was never there, you didn't expect this life for yourself. Or if there was a divorce, if there was addiction, if there was a premature death, this is not something that we chose for ourselves. It's something that happened to us. And so I, you mentioned this 
this term grief naive. And I think it would be good to just kind of talk about the grieving process and what it means to lament. This is something, you know, I was recently talking about this on YouTube about a book that I'm reading that talks about all of the different types of losses that we can experience, even things that happen that we may not even consider them a loss, like a geographic move could be in loss, but every single loss has to be grieved. And this particular author was saying that there is a different length of time for how long it takes to grieve, depending on the severity of the loss. So some losses could take four years. Some could take two years. They could take one year. Could you talk about that, your grieving process, and and what is meant by the word lament? Mm. I think you're exactly right. And, you know, speaking to, to father loss and father wounds, I have a dear family right now that I am watching going through something that they never expected. And the kids are grown and flown. So this doesn't happen while they're in the in the home being raised. And yet their dad is making decisions that are very much impacting them. And, you know, your dad is your dad your whole life. And you want to be able to depend on him and go to him. And, you know, he there and I don't I think it helps us to know that it is grief, to call it grief and to identify it as grief instead of just saying this is a hard time or a difficulty. It is, but there are so many losses in that because he's not being the dad that he should be and he's creating these ripple effects in his family. So, um, you know, for me, grief and for anybody, grief always brings a myriad of hard emotions. And sometimes you may have heard the myth, I did, uh, somewhere in our culture, I'd heard this myth that grief comes in five stages. And I was like, oh, there are these nice, tidy stages of grief. And you walk through one, right. Right. And if I check that one, well, no, that is not the case. Anybody I've talked to, (laughs) it is a mix of just all kinds of emotions. You've got regret and and despair and sadness and missing and loneliness and anger and all of this. More like a spider web. And all it lives. And sometimes you don't even know because it's so bottled up. Some of it's so in there. So what do we do with these emotions? Because they are too much for for one human to carry. They're too much for us. And God does not intend for us to carry them by ourselves or to process them because we have to be able to process it if we're going to be able to move forward. And that's where lament comes in. It is a, it is, we, you know, a process that God models over and over in scripture. We see it mostly in the Psalms, but it's in other books of the Bible as well, where, for instance, David, you know, he was, angry over some some injustice that God was allowing, or he was frustrated that he was being chased, or he was, you know, uh, even repentant over his own sin and had all this emotion. All, the, all of these times he would go to God with his emotion and he would just lay it out. You know, how long ago, God, or my bones are drying up. So we see him describe this very, very honestly and authentically, not trying to fake that everything's okay or polish himself up to go to God. So he would bring God his heart emotion, but then he would always end with this, but I trust you, but I trust you. So it's a, it's a kind of a process where we say, God, I am hurting. Are you there? And when we say that prayer, God will always answer it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And as you're talking, I'm just reminded of Jesus 
when Lazarus died, you know, and he wept. That's the only time we see that, you know, in the Bible. And then also just the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. You know, oh, my goodness gracious. You can see the agony that he was in. You can see the the pain and just the the deliberating that was taking place in his mind between him and and God the Father and just not wanting to do it because his sweat was like drops of blood. And I think I appreciate, I appreciate him modeling this kind of wrestling with the Lord about what he already knew for 33 years. He knew this is why I'm on this earth. This is what I'm called to do. But yet and still, he was still allowed this time of wrestling and and just really petitioning God, you know, and then coming to that final place that you said of trust of, you know, not my will, but but yours be done, which says to all of us that it's okay to wrestle, to cry out, to bring all of our raw emotions to the Lord and that we don't have to pretty it up or, you know, make it Instagram ready. We can we can bring who we really are, you know, because grief is is certainly not pretty. It's not and pretty. it's the way through. It is the way through. Yeah. We don't move forward by stoically trying to just handle this all by ourselves. God did not create us for that. We have the privilege of going to our Father and saying, "My heart is broken, and this is not what I wanted." and I'm angry over this, or I'm confused, or I'm regretful, or, you know, what all those emotions and saying, but, you know, but I trust you. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's helpful when people model the transparency and the vulnerability. Lisa, and I really appreciate the way you have been so transparent about, about your experience losing Dan and, and raising your kids alone. How can people come alongside? People that are grieving and I'm, you know, I'm, as I'm saying this, I, I hear all the phrases, you know, he's in a better place or God works thing, all things for the good of those that love him, which we know. And it is scripture and it is true, you know, and I've heard probably quote it. You will probably hear me quote it, but it's not necessarily what we want to hear in that moment, you know, where the grief is so ever present in our, in our lives. Yeah. And I think the reason is, is because it tries to tie things up with a bow before Mm -hmm. we're ready. Yeah. We have to weep with those who weep and we have to Mm -hmm. give them space to do it and grace to do it. Like you mentioned, sometimes it takes a year or two or three, you know, God never gives us a timeline. And so we can't impose on somebody else. I would say the best thing that we can do for others who find themselves in this place of deep grief and whatever way that happens is to show up. Don't say, call me if you need something because nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to call you if they need something. But go over and say, hey, does Thursday work for me to bring dinner? Hey, can I take you out to coffee? Hey, can I come mow your lawn? Can I take your kids for a day so you can have some time to go to counseling? run errands, you know, go to the doctor, whatever that person may need. So show up for them. Listen, be a listening ear. You know, I think another thing when I think back to what really helped me, it was not just one friend. I had so many that would listen to me and they would go to coffee with me. And it's 
you know, when you're going through these places, these emotions and questions that we have, they're too much for any one person, even a spouse or too much for a current spouse you have, you know what I mean? So, but having somebody who would listen to me and then I've heard that the three best words to say to somebody when they are grieving are, you're not alone. And so to say, you know, I'm here with you and text that person, send them a card on hard dates, be there when they are having a hard day that they can reach out to you. I am so convicted. Listen, I think I've definitely said I'm here if you need me, which they did need me. And I just didn't impose on them. And I I think the other thing with what you're saying is it just even to come alongside someone I think there's there's so many things that we erroneously believe that we can do in and of our own strength. We cannot come along somebody that's grieving without the power of God, because it, it really takes God to be a listener, not listening out of selfish, you know, ambition, like, let me do this good deed or let me do this and say I did it or let me give about 30 minutes. And then I got to run and got to go to, you know, Publix or pick up some groceries or cook dinner, all, all, this, all these things. Because listening requires that you abandon your agenda and you sit with someone who is 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 in grief. And, and there's no there's no agenda. Your agenda is to listen. So I think that there's a level of, of dependence that that we need in order to come alongside somebody and really love them well. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. I'm convicted. Thank you so much. Well, <laughs> listen, we I learned so much from people who did that well for me. I don't I would not have known that before. But I do think it's important to know that we don't have to fix it for them. You, we can't fix it for them. And so sometimes what can happen is we think, well, it's so big and I can't fix it. It kind of paralyzes us from doing anything. Mm-hmm. But a good friend of mine said that, and she's taught her kids to do this. It's such so beautiful to see in their family that the, when somebody is going through something, she will pray and ask God what to do to help. And most of us have probably done that. But then the second thing is she said she expectantly watches for God to nudge her. She expects him to show her. And I think it's that second part that's really interesting. And so it can be any number of ways, you know, however God nudges her and and she just trusts that whatever he tells her to do, that that's her part, you know, and coming alongside. Mm, wow. Yeah, I think sometimes we hear the nudge and then we're like, oh, no, that's not you, guys. Right? Like, yeah, you can't want me to do that. I, I'm not able to do that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I want to look at a couple more of these questions that we have here. What idols come to light when we experience suffering? And how can we begin to heal our anger and our bitterness? Well, did you have anger and bitterness? So I really did not go through the anger. I didn't have any anger. I mean, I I imagine you angry. (laughs) Oh, I I have. (laughs) I have been there. Imagine. That's my second apple ever (laughs) But I think God spared me. I mean, I had so many other things. That I was, I was, I was tremendously fearful. I was fearful for my kids. I didn't know how they would react in grief. I didn't know about their physical, you know, what had taken Dan, his heart condition that had taken him, if this would impact them. I was fearful we were one income family, that one income was now gone. I just had so much fear. And then, of course, just the loneliness and the ripping away of every dream and plan and expectation of what life would look like. But 
you know, one of the things that these places do when life empties in a shattering loss, it really reveals where we have misplaced our hope and where we have misplaced our expectations. And for me, you know, I realized, in fact, I would say to God, God, I am broken open. You might as well just clean me out. Now would be a good time just to deal with my heart. And, you know, part of that, it was this, the idol of control, which I realized was a complete myth. The idol Ugh. of self-sufficiency. That, I said, stop um, you. No, not enough. <laughs> stop talking about that. We're so hate talking about lost that brain. <laughs> the idol that that I could handle things, you know, when you get to a place that is too big to handle, you know, we hear that floated around that God will never give you more than, than you can handle. And that's just not true that he will very much allow circumstances in our life. And we can see this in scripture. I can name a handful of people right now who dealt with things too big for them to handle. Um, Elijah's one who ran for his life, sat under a broom tree and said, just take me now because this is too much for me. Moses said, I can't handle these people you've given me. What were you thinking? So in all of these times, we just realized that we weren't created to handle these these hard things by ourselves, that God created us for dependence on him. The other thing was, and this came a little bit later, but I had an expectation that if God would had given us these seven kids, because it was not my idea to have seven kids. It was not Dan's idea. We had really wrestled through this and come to a place where we were like, okay, we're going to trust you. And, you know, if you give us, you know, whatever. So we ended up with seven children. And I just think I had made this deal, cut this deal with God, that if I step out in faith, then surely you will hold up your end of the deal and let us see them grown and flown. And so when Dan died and I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old and a 12-year-old, it kind of exposed this deal that I did not even realize I had I had cut. I did not realize that I had that expectation of God. And I realized that God had not called me to, that when he asked me to step out and trust, it was not to trust the outcome I wanted, that we would both be here until we were 75 years old or 80, but it was a call to step out and trust him, however that looked. And he was trustworthy and I could trust him in this. Uh. That takes that takes a place of surrender, I think, to get to that because I just know from my own life of just wrestling with what is and what I wanted. It's like, no, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And I'll spend about two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years just think that's not what I wanted, but that's not what I <laughs> And God is probably just looking down saying, well, we'll just wait on you to, to surrender. It is surrender and it is hard and we can keep ourselves been there in a, in a different situation. We can keep ourselves circling in this cul-de-sac because we refuse to just lay down and trust because we think that if we could sculpt our life, it would just be the best life. It'd be the best life. Yeah. Right. But here's the thing. God will never, never give us second best. And that was such a revelation for me to realize, because I was saying that this is not what I ordered. I don't like my life. Again, coming to him honestly. And in the same kind of following that, I sensed this, and that is God does not give us a plan B. And that if he has allowed it, as much as we can understand it, then it is 
his, then it is going to be filled with abundance and joy and goodness because he has allowed this circumstance. He's allowed my life to play out like this because I kept, you know, I was like, I've gotten second best and I'm consigned to live the life that I didn't want and live, you know, the leftovers of the life that I wanted. And the thing is, when I realized that, that God doesn't do plan B, that this was his intentional chapter two for me. It didn't immediately solve all my problems. I didn't immediately just dust myself off and say, okay, I feel so much, I feel all good now. But what it did was help me lean into that truth until my emotions caught up and until my heart and caught up. Such wisdom there. And I, I really appreciate you saying lean into the truth of God. Your emotions may not be on the same page as what your mind understands and, and comprehends. And it's okay for the mind to be in one place and the emotions to be lagging behind because often they are because the emotions are caught up in what feels good and what seems good and, 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 and just our feelings, which do not always represent truth. So I really appreciate what you're saying, Lisa that our minds can be in one place and that our emotions can be someplace else. Because so often that's the case. We're caught up in what feels good, but that doesn't always represent truth. Feelings do not always represent truth. And the place that you described um, where you were kind of saying to God, this is not what I wanted. Um, and now I'm just resigned to live this life that you've carved out for me. It feels like you were battling with a little bit of hopelessness, which you would you say that? Yes, I had never really tasted despair like I did in this place. And it didn't come early. I mean, it really, that despair settled in like the second year. And I think it's because the fog of grief had had lifted, that soft landing, the trying to just make it through, you know, the all the firsts and try to get my feet underneath me and make sure my kids were okay. But that second year, it really settled in that this is my life now. This is it. And I mean, that may str- sound it's strange to somebody. Yeah. Ben's not coming back. Yeah. This is it. And, but, you know, even in that hopelessness, I, the one thing that really helped me, what, well, okay, a couple things. One is I was still getting in the word every day and I needed it like I needed my food. And so just like you said, my emotions were screaming, you'll never feel good again, you know? But every day when I'd get into the Word, it didn't matter where I was, I was reading through the Bible for a year, I would read about God's character or His promises, and it would be enough to lift my head and to give me enough hope for that day. And then the second thing, there were a couple days where I just really hit a wall and I just felt very hopeless. And I would reach out to a friend and say, I am just having a terrible day. And to have that friend stop and pray for me was huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that those friends were divinely placed by God. He plays a tremendous role in helping us hold on to hope when we're in despair. What other ways have you seen God help you hold on to hope when when you were wanting to give up? I think one of the things that really helped me was cultivating gratitude. And this was not something that I was like, oh, I am going to start this gratitude journal because I know this will be so helpful for me. It was, I was a desperate woman and my life felt so bad that if you had asked me, is God good? I would have said, well, sure, he's good. 
like theologically, yes, he's good. But what I, what I, where I was struggling is I didn't feel his goodness for me right then in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so I was just desperate. And I began my Bible time, started beginning my Bible time every day with like numbering one through seven, pausing and looking back over the day before and asking, where did I see God's hand? Where, what, you know, sweet little things happen. Where was I delighted? And it was sometimes as simple as like waking up to the rain or that coffee I had with a friend or, you know, the, the seeing my children do something. It was very ordinary things. Sometimes it was a big thing that God did for us, but it did a couple things. One is as I began to intentionally cultivate gratitude, it opened my eyes to what God was doing. You know, when we look for God's goodness, our eyes are opened to all, all of his goodness. And so we see more and more of it. And then it, it helped connect the dots so that I could see God's hand was on us and all around us, how the things I was praying for, God was answering. It helped me. It just, it just bolstered my faith that God was active right then for us and everything good was not behind us. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful. And it's so practical too. I think we could all take a page from from that book of just reflecting on the previous day to ask ourselves what good happened in that day where did i see god's goodness and i i'm i'm certain i have been saying i need to start a gratitude which i did start a gratitude but i'm gratitude journal but i haven't been as faithful as i need to be so listening to you is reminding me that i need to go back to that journal the other thing that i just wanted to kind of pull out lisa i i follow lisa on facebook you should follow her there or on Instagram and you can see God's goodness in her family. We, before we started recording, I was asking her how many grandkids she had, because I definitely have seen God's faithfulness and goodness and in the life that um, he's made good again for you, Lisa. I was wondering if you could just kind of recount some of the goodness that you've seen since Dan's passing. Early on, you know, somebody told us he had lost his own father at 12. And he told my children, two of my boys, he said, right now, I want you, if you're listening, I want you to imagine I'm holding up like a paper plate, say. And he said, right now, like your dad is such a huge part of your life. It's almost like this whole plate, like every part of your life is affected by your dad. And so the pain that you're feeling is just, it's all over your life, but your life will grow. And then he took his hands and he kind of expanded it almost like to a platter, say. And he said, it's not that your dad, you know, your dad's still part of your life, but your life is going to grow. You're going to get jobs and you're going to get married and God will probably bring children to you and your, your, you will grow. And so while your dad will always be a part of your life and that will always be hard, you know, that'll always be a wound for you that you miss him your life will will grow bigger. And it was really hopeful for me to know that my kids could look forward to that, that if they would process the grief now, that they could, you know, that their life would continue to flourish. And so, yes, it is so, so sweet to see five of my kids are now grown and married and all of, well, four of them are now parents and we've got I just told you, like we might've had, I might've had another grandchild while we're on the, on the (laughs) recording this. So by the end of this year, Lord willing, I will have eight grandkids, all little like boom, 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 boom. But it is just, it is the sweetest balm because 
I was that girl who was like, did not know what would happen to these kids and, and how they would handle this loss and to see them following hard after the Lord and flourishing in their own families is just huge. And life is not perfect. We are also waiting for a pathology report for one of my kids. So it's not like all, you know, everything's rosy and, you know, we will, until we get to heaven, continue to walk through hard places. I'm quite sure, but God is there with us in it. And he never said things would be rosy. I think we just all somehow think it is supposed to be. (laughs) It's supposed to be rosy, but the more I walk with the Lord, the more I see how he gives us good and hard, painful and beautiful, difficult and joyous. We hold them both together as we as we walk this journey until we see Jesus face to face. That's going to be the story for all of us. Well, Lisa, this has been an amazing, amazing interview. Uh, I highly encourage everyone to run and go get her book or if she's as close as your nearest internet connection. But Lisa, as we get ready to close, can you encourage someone who might be grieving today? And then I think I'm going to ask us out in prayer too. Sure. If you are in that place and your heart is broken, I don't know your circumstance. It may be very different from mine, or these words may have sounded very similar. But I, I want you to give yourself a lot of grace in this time. It, life, you, you know, give yourself, it takes an enormous amount of mental and emotional and physical and spiritual space to grieve and to process loss. But if you will grieve on your terms now, you will be able to move forward in a healthy way. And God, God has much for you. I know it might not look like that in your circumstances, but lean onto the truth that God is for you and that he has much for you. I'll go ahead and close this in prayer then. Heavenly Father, I do pray for the one who's listening right now whose heart is shattered and whose life does not look like she thought it would. And she is reeling, Lord, from loss and from wounds. And it's really hard to even get feet to floor. Father, you see her and you love her so much. Lord, I pray that she feels your presence palpably around her. I pray that today that you would give her a sign of your goodness, as it says in the Psalms. I pray today, Lord God, that she can see that you are answering prayer for her, that you are providing for her. I pray that she would lean on you for your wisdom, for your guidance. I pray, Lord, that you would give her people in her life so that she can borrow their hope when she has a bad day. I pray, Lord, that you would draw her to you in a way where while she never, ever would have chosen this circumstance, she would never go back to the girl she was before because you change us in the hard place. You make us like you want us to be, like your son. And Lord, we trust you. We give you every piece of a broken heart, every piece of the broken life. And we trust, Lord God, that you will reshape what is shattered. Lord, only you can do this. Comfort and be near. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Well, I hope that you have been blessed by Lisa Apollo and her book is entitled Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. What a inspirational interview. You can get these books wherever these books are sold, wherever books are sold. You can also purchase a book at lisaapolo.com and you can find her links to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. So this has been just a tremendous blessing for me and I know for our listeners as well. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight to talk to you. You've been listening to the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, episode 44, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Lisa Apollo. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you, and I want you to know whether your dad is deceased, absent, divorced, unavailable, incarcerated, or you don't know who he is, sis, there is hope for you. Hope to be healed, hope to be secure, hope to be free, completely free. Hope to be satisfied with the love of God. Yes, there is hope for women with father wounds. This was episode 44 of Hope for Women with Father Wounds. I am your host, Kia Stevens. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Be sure and check out the links associated with this podcast so you can access several free resources for you. Also, for more support, purchase my newly released book, Overcoming Father Wounds, wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you will join me for episode 45, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Jenny Erlingson. Hope for Women with Father Wounds is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, Please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.